Hello friends, welcome to the show. I'm Tom Broback, and my guest today is Joel Reinhardt. Joel is Assistant Director of Sports Performance at UMass, where he works with the football, lacrosse, and swim teams. Joel is a great follow on social media and brings excellent knowledge and experience to the show. One quick reminder, tomorrow is the last day for 50% off my online courses on coach2.com. Make sure you use the checkout code SCHOOL50 to get your discount. Let's go on to the show. My first internship, and I'm still close with my first internship was with Kirk Olson. Sure. And, um, we're still really close. I saw you work at one of the TCO facilities, right? Yeah, I just started in Edina, uh, yeah. doing doing. It's all ortho and sports PT right now. I've I've dabbled in strength conditioning in the past. Right now, it's all PT, and and it's been good. Okay. Kirk Olson, yeah. you said. Yeah, he's the head of like the all like the sports performance side of TCO. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen um he was the Wilds head strength coach for 13 years. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, what? he was my first internship. We're still pretty close. I talk with him pretty regularly. That's sweet. What brought he you was- out to Massachusetts? Um, Coach Adid was when he got here um i was in louisiana with greg carasquillo at nickel state and i was there for a year and a half right out of my ga and he um greg's roommate from college was a former assistant of shadid and shadid was looking for an assistant at umass sure and so we got linked up talked for a couple days and then I got up here January of 19 and then we've been rolling since then. Shadid left in uh, January. He's at South Alabama now with Kane Womack, um, which stunk, but uh, that was probably the hardest no I had to say when he wanted, I was going to go down there with him. He wanted to come with, sure. Yeah, we're going, we're getting, me and my fiance are getting married in a month. So the timing just wasn't right to move across the country right and she's in the sports performance field too yeah she works at Dunham. okay which is about 90 minutes from umass how does that work at home in terms of talking about work is it usually kind of things get set to the side or do you guys talk a lot about what goes on in each of your days i mean a little bit like some of the behind stuff like you know just like dealing with administration and some of that nonsense but (laughs) <laughs> in terms of like actual training, not much, not really. Gotcha. Just, yeah. Gotcha. My uh, my girlfriend's in healthcare. She's a nurse. She just finished her. She's actually out in Boston. She's up uh, BC, and she got her nurse practitioner degree. Um, gotcha. So it's always interesting when healthcare related topics come up, and she has one side, and I have one side, and sometimes they mesh, and sometimes they don't. So yeah. I was always interested in. Uh, uh, couples in, in sports performance field if train philosophies and topics get talked about or is it just kind of like any other uh, talking about work at home with couples and things like that yeah I mean a little bit here and there but like not really honestly so what got you interested in sports growing up um 
I mean, I was always playing sports. My dad played basketball his whole life, played in college. And then, um, I don't know, so even when I was just like a little kid, I was just like, you know, playing at recess or whatever. And um, I mean, the big thing that kind of got me kickstarted though was when I was five years old. So it was probably the first time that I was like watching a, you know, watching a game and kind of, you know, comprehending what was going on. Sure. Uh, was Randy Moss's rookie year. Yeah. It was Moss's rookie year and it was like primetime Kevin Garnett. Uh-huh. And then even a few years after that was, you know, Joe Maurer and, um, but I don't really care about baseball, but, um, mainly, you know, kind of prime growing up on primetime, Randy Moss and Kevin Garnett was, um, it's just fun to watch the games. And, um, that's what I played football and basketball in high school and then just played football in college. Um, but that was the big, like the 98 Vikings and getting to watch Moss and that really, that was one of the first things that got me interested in sports for sure. And my, my dad just, you know, being a huge basketball fan and us playing basketball or throwing the baseball or throwing football, whatever. At what point in your life did you decide like my career is going to be sports related or just kind of happen organically? Oh, no, I knew for sure. I was like probably 14, something like that. I was, um, I'd always been really interested in in, like anatomy and physiology. And, you know, even when I was as young as, you know, 14, 15, um, and just like biomechanics and sought out as many resources as I could, um, you know, even all through high school to kind of put me in a position to not not necessarily like know what I wanted to do, but just kind of like see what the options are in in these kind of broad topic things. What are ways I can make money doing that and stay around sports? Um, And I had a couple, my sophomore year, I had a back injury and like, I didn't actually miss that much time, but even just like the little bit of rehab stuff I had to do, just maybe interested in it. And um, then uh, just kind of kept rolling with that. And then when I got to, when I was looking at colleges and, you know, I knew I wanted to play, I was going to play football. And so I was looking at schools that had exercise science or kines or, you know, something, something close. Um, And then did exercise science and then, um, Pretty soon there, I knew like, okay, I want to do strength conditioning. Um, you know, I knew that even later half of high school, as soon as I got to college, I knew that's what I wanted to do and got my first internship, got linked up through our women's hockey coach at St. Olaf. He was buddies with Kirk Olson and Kirk had actually never had an intern before, but was just like, yeah, I'll take you because you know, he's vouching for you. And then once I got one under my belt, spent a summer with Kirk, just training pro hockey players. And then once I got that under my belt, that was awesome. And he, uh, that was a sophomore after my sophomore year of undergrad. So I was 19. I had no clue. Um, (laughs) He linked me up with the Olympic staff at university of Minnesota um, and so I spent that next summer with them. Uh, it was mostly with Sarah Wiley at Minnesota. And then um, 
from there, when it was my senior year of undergrad and my offensive coordinator was a Springfield grad and he was like, he, he was a Springfield grad um, on the football side. And he was like, Hey, if you want to do strength and conditioning and you want to look, you know, do a master's, like go to Springfield. And I was like, all right. And I looked into it and, you know, there's the alumni network is huge. And, right. um, and it was nice. Like I had grown up in Minnesota and then I went to undergrad in Minnesota and I wanted to just kind of like, you know, see somewhere else. Um, and so that all came together and then I went out there and, and it was just a series of kind of opportunities, you know, the going down to Louisiana with Greg Carasquillo and Nickel State and then bouncing back up to UMass with Shadid. And now we're uh, here at UMass in 21. So, What was your mindset like when you did your first internship? Oh, jeez. I mean, it was just like trying to learn as much as possible, like yeah. just engage with the athletes. Like that is one thing I realized quickly is like, if you know your stuff, like they'll respect you. Like, right. uh, you know, I was 19 and I didn't have a ton. I was like learning from a practical coaching perspective mm-hmm. of like, you know, you can know everything about biomechanics, but that doesn't mean you know how to, you know, cue a, barbell hinge or something like that but like if you know enough where it's clear that you're not just some clown who's like needs class credit for an internship like you can gain a pretty um you can gain a little bit i don't know if clout's the right word but like some you can get a foot in the door even with like high level athletes like it was nice because you know i was 19 and i was coaching you know, Kirk really didn't hold me back much. It was once he realized like, okay, this kid kind of knows what he's doing. Um, he helped me, you know, helped guide me in terms of like the practical coaching stuff, but I understood like the basics of, you know, what needs to happen from a mechanical standpoint in different movements and, you know, on field movements and that sort of thing and on ice movements. Um, and so just having that, even being just a 19 year old kid, it's my first internship having NHL players like be curious and asking me questions and wanting me to coach them. And so like that, it was like, Oh, okay. That was my first exposure. Like, Oh, like these, like, it was nice to have my first exposure be with multi-million dollar guys who they don't care if I come in like screaming, yelling, like, let's go. Like they don't need to be motivated. Right. They're right. Dollars. They're, they're like, Hey, you know, how can you help me? Mm-hmm healthier like how can you help me play better they didn't care about any of the other garbage um so being on my stuff right away while still learning in some of the other areas helped and it was that was the first exposure to like oh okay like at the end of the day these guys just care if i'm gonna help them play better or not necessarily play better but like you know can i help their bodies out to a certain point where they can spend more time on the ice they can you know, just from a physical standpoint, perform at a higher level. And um, so that was kind of my first, the, the, I mean, the, my mindset and going into it was just like, all right, let's learn, let's contribute where I can contribute. And um, that was my first exposure to like, oh, okay, if you really just go back to like the base level of like what goes into human movement and sporting movement and being successful in a sporting environment and you know those things 
and to come across and you can communicate it well, then, you know, you can win over and coach dudes who, um, you know, you have no business coaching, you know, it was like Derek Steppen was there. He's one of the, I don't know if he's in the, in the league anymore. I don't really watch the NHL, but he was like a multiple time all-star and it was just like, you know, he's asking me questions and uh, I was 19. It was just like, uh, okay, cool. You know, so. It helps that you identified you're helping them solve a problem that they have and not trying to give them advice to something that you're not trying to teach them how to play hockey. Like if you come in doing that, like they already know how to play hockey, but they don't know basic movement patterns. They don't know how to stay healthy during the season, those kinds of things. And you're able to help them solve that problem because you identify that right away instead of trying to teach them everything. Yeah. And just recognizing as a young coach, like there are a lot of things, I don't know. One, one thing that always pisses me off is like, um, I even saw it recently where it was like asking somebody about like an assistant position that was open. Cause I had some buddies that were interested and I was like, Hey, what are the details of the assistant position? And they're like, well, we're just looking for somebody who can really get the guys going. We don't really need any programming help. And I was like, so you want a $45,000 intern? Like that's a bullshit. Like, what are you doing? Um, um, because anybody can walk in and just clap their hands and walk around a room briskly and bring energy to the room. Right. And not that that's not an important thing to do, but like, if we're going to be professionals, like you have to have an in-depth understanding of biomechanics. You have to have an in-depth understanding of physiology. You have to have an in-depth understanding of physics and an in-depth understanding of the sport that the player who was in front of you is playing. And there's definitely like, a, Oh, well, the weight room super general, but like, yeah, you, if, but if I'm training a tennis player, I need to have a very in-depth understanding of the, of what tennis is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I took over women's lacrosse. It was, you know, the first, however long of like, once I realized, okay, I have them, it was figuring out like, what, what are the movements that are need to be exploited? Like, you know, what are the movement environments that need to be exploited to be successful in this sport, basically? Um, and so in, from an internship standpoint, like all the interns build up into being assistants and assistants, but like, so if you're just pushing your interns to just be mindless goobers who walk around a room, clapping their hands, like you're going to eventually get assistants who do that. And they, you know, I'm all, I've been around a lot of people who that's who they are. Um, so I was lucky to, and not to say you can just be a fly on the wall with your arms crossed. Like that's obviously not the answer as well. Um, you want to be somebody who adds positive value and positive energy to the room, but it's just like a, such a base level um, requirement. And it's like, if you don't have like, it, you don't even need to be out of undergrad to have an in-depth understanding of biomechanics. Like YouTube is so far reaching and mm-hmm. like so much like, so much education is just free and available. Like if you don't have an in-depth understanding of biomechanics, physics, physiology, anatomy, like it's just cause you haven't, you've chosen not to have that. Um, so it was nice as a 19 year old where it wasn't like, you know, there was definitely those like, Hey, you got to bring, you know, you got to bring positive vibes to the room. You gotta, you know, you gotta push the energy of this room forward, but like, if you're going to coach something, you better know exactly why you're saying what you're saying. Um, because you know, physics doesn't care how you feel. 
like it doesn't matter if you think that is like it doesn't care and right. so it was nice to have that be my first internship where it wasn't just like hey man you're doing a great job because you're yelling a lot it was like hey that three-time nhl all-star his his back squat looked bad and you got it to look a little bit better like what'd you say to him like that, those sorts of things so, you know like actually adding value from a performance standpoint um and so i got lucky in that aspect you know that was me and kirk really one-on-one -on -one and coaching 10 athletes at a time so um yeah that was a i don't even know if i answered your question but now you get a lot of good nuggets there what do you enjoy about working with athletes who play sports that you didn't play growing up? Um, I think I, mean, I touched on it a little bit, the challenge of like having to figure out what are the movements that need to be exploited in that, in that, um, you know, in that game to be successful, you know, like watching, you know, going out and watching women's lacrosse game and seeing some of the, the specific like cuts that they, that are, executed often in the game and then like you know there's definitely like generic training that's going to be included in a lot of training environments just because of you know a lot of 18 year olds entering college are relatively untrained and so there's going to be a lot of carryover but you know even the difference between the men's lacrosse game and the women's lacrosse game from a like the cuts that are made or is, is pretty different and so you know like i've even manipulated the plyometrics that I use based off of like watching film and seeing like, Oh, they're making this specific movement or they're entering a cut from this specific angle a lot mm -hmm. because of the constraints of like the goals over here and the restraining line is here and the sidelines over there. And, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and that came from, you know, sitting down, having conversations with our, you know, our head coach and our assistants and watching film and being in practice as much as humanly possible. That's the one thing I made sure to do this spring. I just manipulated my schedule so that I was at every single practice um, the entire time. And there were some times where I was helping out with some rehab girls or whatever. And so that I actually had a task to do. Sure. Um, but there were a lot of times where it was simply, you know, you could look at it as like, oh, you're wasting time just standing there. But it, it you know, being intentional about like watching the movements and watching patterns and seeing what comes up often and seeing how we can, you know, seeing where, um, where we can improve, where we're good, what sort of movements that I think need to happen, but maybe we can't execute them because of physical limitation or things that we're able to perform. Uh, maybe we need to perform it at a little bit higher level, things like that. Um, so just watching the sport as much as possible. So, Did you notice a change in the interaction between you and the athletes when you put more time into watching them practice? Um, I mean, maybe not like consciously of the girls being like, oh, coaches that practice more. But I mean, it just allows for more like informal conversations. Right. Whether it's performance related or not, um, it just allows for you know, more interaction and more feedback. Um, you know, if I know such and such ankle has been bugging her a little bit and yesterday I practiced, she was favoring it a little bit when she was cutting from behind the net or, and then today she's not like, that's just a conversation starter. And, um, 
you know, it was, you know, not necessarily, I mean, some of it changed a little bit just from like a presence standpoint, but some of it was, I would say the most of it was um, just like what we emphasized from a practice standpoint. And if anything, like the girls seeing that, like, there are a lot of teams where the strength coach is just like, all right, you handle the weight room. And, right. you know, even if there are some people who are like, Hey, the head coach doesn't mess with me at all in the weight room. Sweet. Like, but I, I think that's just like a bare minimum. Like, of course they're not, they shouldn't mess with me in the weight room. They don't know what they're doing in there, but like, that's just a base level of like the weight room is just like, all right, cool. Yeah. We're going to smack that. We're going to have a good plan. We're going to execute it at a high level. That's, that's going, that's going to happen if we, you know, keep executing and having solid attention to detail and all those things. Um, but if we can start bridging the gap between, you know, what happens, you know, like if we can bring our skill set, one of the things that took from Coach Shadid, whether it was, you know, some of it was just like watching him operate, but then some of it was, you know, him specifically like, preaching this um, was just like one of the principles was just like, do more. Like we can, that's like sports performance professionals. We could just execute a very high level weight room program and people will be like, Oh, that's awesome. You know? Um, but our, that's limiting our skill set pretty significantly. Um, so seeing that, you know, um, you know, cause I would meet with the lacrosse staff weekly and we would go over, practice planning and like the physical emphasis of practice every day for that week. And based off of when our games were, what was our travel or the girls feeling like, um, how far, how far from an off day were we, um, you know, when were we going to fit in some of our supplementary supplementary physical activities, you know, or as I look at it as like, you know, you can like, you play the sport and any, any physical output that we wanted that we need to, play the sport at a high level. If we can build that through playing the sport, we're going to do that. And then anything that's needs to be supplemental, we're going to add that in. And um, that just so happens to be, you know, with a lot of field sports, usually you need something that's going to add a lot more force or require a lot more force and something that's going to require a little more speed. And so, you know, that pretty much ends up being, we do weight room work and we do some supplementary max V type stuff. Um, but then we also manipulate the practice environments to be sort of high, low. And even if it's not high, low in a truest sense of like, you know, Francis necessarily, but it's higher and lower, um, from a running velocity standpoint and how we can manipulate drills and all that. Like we're doing that behind the scenes, but then making the girls aware of it, like was good because you know not just like oh i'm at practice just to say hi like i'm at practice to watch how our you know we we make this plan of like hey we're gonna put all these drills on this day and these other drills on this day to make this you know a more higher velocity day and this day more of a you know shorter environment or smaller environment change of direction type day like how do i know that that's getting executed and it's actually coming to fruition the way we wanted it to if i'm not watching it um so we need to be watching that. And then, you know, then we have the objective data with the GPS to kind of back it up on the back end. Um, but, um, but it was overall, it was good to have the girls see that like, right. Oh, 
coach isn't just like telling us to hit some trap bar and then okay i'll see you in two days when we have another lift like it just like i from i mean apart from our like off days your student was fell on a sunday or monday i would see every girl on the team every day and that just provides more opportunities for hey how's that ankle feeling or hey how that test go like it, just more informal conversations and you know that builds that you know that builds that sort of kind of equity almost that social equity of like hey you know when i do have to kind of dip down deep and draw something out of you that's uncomfortable like i've kind of earned that based off of this body of work that we've kind of put together so right uh, because if you only see them a couple times a week and then you just come at them with you need to work harder you need to do more of this like i need more from you but you're never there for those other moments that kind of fill in what makes a good relationship it's hard to get that buy-in and that trust from the athletes but it seems like you've taken the time energy and effort to build those relationships so you can have tough conversations and then ultimately build a better program with the coaches and athletes that you invest in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You also touched on uh, max velocity uh, being an importance to your program. And I've, I've seen on social media that you, you, you track it, you, you, you rank it, you record it um, kind of that feed the cats mentality. When did max velocity uh, sprinting and exercises become an importance to you and what kind of effect has it had on the athletes and programs you've worked with? Mm. I mean, honestly, it's been something that I've been aware of basically my, I mean, since I started getting into this field, really, I mean, I'd say, I mean, 20, when I started working as a GA at Springfield, you know, it was like, we knew, I mean, James Smith had just come out with applied sprint training, which is, still probably one of the better books out there on sprint training. Um, and then when I interned at UConn, they had dumped a bunch of tra- uh, Francis materials in my lap. I just read everything. Sure. Um, and then, and just from like a, you know, understanding nervous outputs and um, what is it, you know, understanding nervous outputs and just like the physics and understanding, you know, all those sorts of things that go into like what is actually happening on the field. And you see like, okay, like I can understand how top speed is gonna impact on those performances. And so we should probably build that in however way we can. Um, And again, that goes back to number one way we can build it is through manipulating practice environments. Um, but even in sports where you have implements in your hand or, uh, it's sometimes it's harder to fully get there, even with good manipulation of practice constraints. Um, so we, we add in a little bit of supplementary stuff, but it's really not that much, but, um, but yeah. And even like playing around with it myself, like mm-hmm. just feels good i mean you, like the i would just say i guess i gotta give a shout out to Derek hansen on this because the his the way he presents signal versus noise in a way that's slightly different than 
you know, high versus low um, was kind of one of the clipping, clicking moments where I was just like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, where, you know, like you have to have enough noise to support the signal. You can't have zero noise. You got to have some noise to kind of support the signal that is these high level sprinting, whether it's sprinting, jumping, you know, it could be pitching at, as fast as you possibly like some of those things that are like just pure like nervous output um like if you don't include those they're not gonna they're not gonna be built by those things aren't gonna be improved by some submaximal outputs now that doesn't mean the submaximal outputs aren't important um because right. even like you know playing a game at you know, playing a lacrosse game is incredibly taxing, probably the, you know, the highest taxing thing that we can put on the girls. Um, but it isn't necessarily, it, it, you look at it from like a holistic, like organism standpoint, it's incredibly taxing. But if you look at it in terms of specific physical qualities, there are some of those where it's certainly not maximal, you know, so like you, it's easy to see like, oh, like the, the strength required to play a lacrosse game isn't going to build your trap bar max. Like we can understand that. That's pretty easy. Right. But like you, st so you supplement it elsewhere. Um, so even like, oh, we're playing sports, um, you know, we might not hit our true top speed. So we just need to supplement it elsewhere but it's also just like fast wins like and executing skills ex executing skills really at a fast rate and in you know in the executing skills at a high level at a high speed is what wins games so if you obviously we don't work much on the building the skills side but if we can certainly build the other side there's a large difference in the demands of lacrosse versus uh, compared to even like a sport like football in terms mm -hmm. of having a, there's a more necessity for for conditioning. Um, how do you balance that in your training, both in season and out of season? I mean, in season, we do zero a supplementary conditioning. There's no we play lacrosse. Um, and even in the off season in the fall, we're allowed six 20 hour weeks, maybe it's yeah, five. We're going to kind of play around with it. We were talking about that last week, but um, we basically have based around the academic schedule, we have like 12, 13 weeks of training, give or take. Um, and we have six of those that are 20 hour weeks where we're able to like, and we're, we're able to play a couple games. Um, so and then we have, you know, four or five, eight, eight hour weeks that are pretty much just with me with a little bit of lacrosse leading up to that. And so, you know, I kind of always go back to if we can build the physical requirements through playing the sport, we're going to do that. Um, and so, you know, we kind of have a plan that we're building out for the fall, um, but just how that ended up looking in the, um, in this spring, I mean, coming back, I mean, when they're home and not with us, they include a decent amount, not a crazy amount, but a decent amount of extensive tempo, you know, building up to 
you know, I mean, a lacrosse game, some of these girls are getting up to 16,000 yards. And so, but even then I'm not like, Oh, we got to build up to 16,000 yards of extensive tempo. No, that'd be ridiculous. Um, we're building up to, I mean, the most I've ever gotten them up to in a, in a single day is 4,000 and, you know, a weekly volume of maybe 10,000 um, yards. Uh, and then that puts us at kind of a baseline level for when we start the preseason to then just slowly build um, game and scrimmage environments up to a full game. So it's like, you know, so I've even had some girls ask like, Oh, what's our, I mean, not girls on our current team because they know this, but our head coaches had recruits ask like, Oh, what's your like running test? Cause it's like, I know soccer teams are terrible about this and lacrosse teams, like they're so locked in on like having a conditioning test. And it's just like, all right, like I, I can understand the value of having an objective measure that shows, um, you know, progress, but what, whatever you emphasize, like that's what they're going to train for. You know, I have a, a buddy who works at another school and they, you know, their soccer team has X conditioning tests that they do. So instead of just like building, you know, instead of the, the players like following just like a good solid training plan, they follow that somewhat. And then they pretty much just focus. How can I beat this test? And gotcha. so their attention's diverted from. Yeah what the program should emphasize. Yeah. So when our head coach asked me like, Hey, what conditioning test should we do? I said, we shouldn't do one. We should just play lacrosse. And she was like, sweet. Cause you can almost always get, and she's super sharp. She's one of the best head coaches I've ever been around in my life. Um, but if you frame stuff in the, through the lens of like, I'm just trying to let you play as much sport as possible. Um, like even if you, Hey, you use your first practice, whatever you get, 20 practices before your first game, whatever, just make up a number. And you use one of those for a conditioning test. You just wasted one of your 19 practice or one, you just have one down 19 to go and you just wasted an entire day. And the next day is probably going to be garbage too. Um, right. So you waste, um, you know, so it's like, is the, is it going to give us information that we don't already know that, or that we can't gather from just holding a normal practice and watching the girls play? Um, no in my opinion. So we, we just don't do one. And then we just, we, we look at what the end goal is, which is game one, which this year ended up being a little goofy because we had a seven day COVID shutdown in the middle. So it was three weeks of training, seven day shutdown, one week of training then. So it was a little bit goofy, but it was pretty much like four weeks leading up into our first game. So instead of saying like, Oh, we're going to do this conditioning test. And then, Oh, if you don't pass it, you got to rerun it. And then two days, like what were all that garbage? Um, it's just like, all right, we're playing. We know what the outputs are needed for a full game in 30 days. We objectively know that based off of our data, how can we, and we just work back from that for 30 days. And we start at a level that we think is like a safe starting point for girls who are coming back from being home for the last eight weeks. And we aren't sure how much they did. Um, so we don't want to start out at too high a level because I'd rather be, you know, to steal a Tony thing, I'd rather be 80% in shape and hundred percent healthy than the opposite. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So then we just scaled back practice volumes to the point where, I mean, our first day of practice in a preseason, you know, usually that's the one where everybody's like gung ho, like, let's go. Um, our first practice was 45 minutes, including the warm up. And we gave them two days off during the week instead of one. And we performed, I mean, we did over the first seven days, we had, uh, well, we did four days in a row to start each practice, 45 minutes, maybe 50, maybe an hour with a little bit of just like extra passing standing in place. Um, and then we reconvened as a staff and we, you know, said, okay, like, where are we at? Well, you know, how can we progress? Should we progress intensity? Should we progress volume? Should we progress, you know, should we widen playing fields? Should we include more players in widen playing fields? Should we go shorter with more players? Like all those sorts of things. And we just built that out. And then, you know, over those we had four weekends leading into our first game. So I guess it was five weeks. So we had four weekends leading into the first game. First eight men, we played a quarter of a game. The or so I'd say we had four weekends, five weeks leading into the first game. First weekend, we played a quarter of a game as a scrimmage in a scrimmage environment. And we the next week we played a half, then we played three quarters, then we played a full game. And that was how we conditioned our team to play a full game. We worked up to playing a full game. And along the way, during those weeks, we were undulating, you know, overall volume, but also high speed volume, working all the way up to, um, you know, kind of those game loads. And not that we necessarily all the way got to those game loads, even playing a full scrimmage, full inter-squad scrimmage, um, just cause, you know, when it's crunch time, in a game, like some of our best players are just going to play more. Um, but we're getting close enough. So, you know, we don't have to have our, you know, you don't have to do 120% of a game in practice to be ready to play a game. Like you can get up to, you know, 80, 85% of a game and they're going to be fine. Like everybody's going to look like shit in the fourth quarter of their first game anyway. Um, or I shouldn't say look like shit, but they're going to feel, um, they're going to feel quote unquote, not in shape because right. usually it's just like excitement, heart rates elevated, like all those sorts of things. Um, so you, even that's one of the things we focused on, like talking with the girls and stuff. like, if you want to look more in shape, like calm down during timeouts, like get your heart rate down, like all those sorts of things. There's a couple of our girls who like really benefited from focusing on that. Like, like, Oh, I'm out of shape. And I'm like, no, you're not your heart rate is just staying at 150 for the whole three minute TV timeout. Like, <laughs> calm down. Um, right. You're not out of shape. Um, but, but yeah, so that was a long winded conditioning answer, but um, we don't, we, in the scenarios where our practice time is limited, like an eight hour week, we're allowed four hours of lacrosse, four hours with me. We will use all of that lacrosse time for skill development. Um, because it's, it's happening at a time of year where we're not necessarily putting them in like game-like environments just because we're still kind of in just like a general preparation phase. Um, so most of their physical work was with me. Um, and so during those times, I will supplement some um, extensive tempo type work, um, whether that's linear, multi-directional. Um, but once we get into like 20 hour weeks, both in the fall and the spring, like we pretty much drop all of that and just get it through uh, manipulating practice environments instead of a conditioning test do you have other tests that you do 
at the beginning of the season or during the season, or do you have uh, different KPIs that you really follow that mean a lot to you and, and the overall development of your players? Uh, I mean, we have our speed KPIs that we look at, you know, like a flying, kind of our standard is a flying 10 with a 20 yard build. So um, we track that longitudinally. Um, we've got our GPS on, we've got 25 units. So we get pretty much our entire two deep um, on that, which is useful because um, then we're able to see, this is actually some of the, we, we had just started with it this year. Um, so that's some of the, my off season project is getting into a little bit more of uh, looking at some of our max acceleration, max deceleration speeds. And cause we just kind of, this year we were pretty basic with like, um, you know, it's like total volume, high speed volume. Um, I did accelerations and decelerations and, but I kind of lumped together a bunch of acceleration and deceleration speed zones. Um, so I'm going to start delineating those out a little bit more. Um, and then, I mean, I have some weight room KPIs that I look at. Those are pretty standard. Um, may, I mean, the main movement I use with them is trap bar. I'm actually ditching. I was texting Nick DeMarco about this the other day um, because just watching how the girls move and how we can best load certain tissues and movements that we want to load, I'm pretty much just going to drop bilateral squatting with them this coming school year and see how it, how it rolls. Um, I did that, honestly, I did that mid season and they didn't even notice it. And we just were training and rolling and um, it's, I anticipate it going well, um, but some of that's been, been playing around with some logistical aspects. Um, but we do actually, their athletic trainer and I were clo very closely together. And that's one of the things that we're actually meeting about over the summer and working on is because we, we got a force plate that's pretty new. Um, we got it right, um, kind of up and running right at the start of the season. Like literally the, the day before practice started was when it arrived and we were playing around with it. So I didn't want to throw that at them new in season like hey there's all these other stressors and now you get on top on this force plate like we got and we had a couple like rehab girls that we got on it fairly regularly um but we're gonna have um a battery of tests like uh, when our girls get back first in the fall um the first week is like a half week where classes start on a Wednesday and it's like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So like, it's going to be like team meeting on Wednesday, just like welcome back to campus. And then we're going to have a battery of tests that we take through, whether it's going to be some table tests with our athletic trainer, but then also um, some of the, we're going to get a battery of tests on the force plate. It's not gonna be anything crazy. It's going to be, you know, counter movement jump, a drop jump from 12 inches, you know, just a standardized thing that we're going to start tracking longitudinally. Um, so that we can look at, and then we're, we're not, you know, it gives a million metrics, but we're going to pick out a few. Um, we've been working with Drake at Hawk and Dynamics and Brandon Wicket's our hockey strength coach at UMass. He's been doing a lot more with it than, than we have. Um, so kind of stealing from him as well of looking at some of the specific metrics and almost making Brandon's working on this now with the AT for hockey over there is like some decision tree type things of like, you know, if we've got peak relative breaking force below a certain threshold, kind of where, and we've got, you know, is peak relative breaking force below 300% body weight? You know, if yes, it's below that, like, 
okay, what is the left, right? You know, like some of those just out of decision tree type things to look at. Um, so we're going to have a battery of testing like that. And it's really not that, doesn't take long. It's not that expansive. Like, okay, you're going to do three attempts on the counter movement jump. You're going to do three attempts on a 12 inch drop jump. And that's it. Like, you know, and we'll just start tracking that, you know, might not necessarily be weekly, but maybe it's once a month or every other week or, you know, something like that. And we'll just get in a rhythm like that to see um, some more, much more in-depth objective data uh, from a weight room standpoint. Cause obviously it's easy to be like, Oh, this 18 year old who had never touched a weight room before her trap bar went up, you know, <laughs> she probably double her trap bar in a year or whatever. Like that's not that crazy, but um, you know, if we can look at, if we can have a freshman show up on campus and we all, you know, we're saying like, Oh, she kind of moves a little goofy. Like it's, that's still valuable information to know, but if we can say, Oh, she has an 18% difference left to right and breaking force when she does a counter movement jump, like, Oh, that's, that's something we can immediately jump on versus just being like, eh, she kind of moves goofy. Um, so it just provides us a little more objective data. Um, so that's something I'm excited for um, because, you know, obviously, it's something that will give us a ton of data and insight without having to be too obtrusive on the girls. Like, you know, for each girl individually, it'll take them 10 minutes to perform this battery of tests and then they just go on with their day, but it gives us a ton of information. So. I think that's super beneficial to the athletes. Like you're not taking in a lot of their time or energy, but it's giving you a plethora of data to look at and then to, help build their programs out, help keep them healthy, help keep them improving so they can get better at their sport, which is the ultimate goal with, with anything you want to do is how is this affecting how they play on the field? And if you can do that at a minimal cost to them in terms of time and effort, it seems like a no brainer to implement some of that higher tech stuff with the force plays. Yeah. And it's like, it's stuff that it's, it's not, that difficult to like get it like to package it in a way that's even interesting to the athletes like sure um i know um ac he works with our women's soccer program and he did a battery of testing kind of they did their spring season this spring uh, and then postseason he did kind of a battery of testing with them as they were exiting for summer almost like in their exit interviews they did that's like battery of force play testing and you know, he was packaging it in a way just like, you know, they don't care like, oh, what they don't know what peak relative breaking force means, but they can understand like, hey, can you stop your body? Basically, like they understand, you know, it's like just packaging it, packaging it in a way that's like, hey, you know, we're going to work on, we're going to emphasize X, Y, and Z in your specific program because of what we're seeing here. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, or even like we had a girl, one of the kind of rehab girls, um do a battery of tests she's like way end post-op acl um and she did a battery of tests that kind of standardized on the force plate the other day and we went in and her left right difference was you know drastically better than we ever imagined it would be at this point in the um in the rehab process it was essentially zero and so i immediately texted her and like hey like this is what was we're looking at and this is what we're seeing. And she's like, Oh, that's great. You know, like just because it, it is like high level and 
information, high level tech almost like doesn't mean you, they can't understand it if you package it in the right way. So, um, and that's what we're finding. Like if you engage the athletes with the data, they're going to be much more likely to care about it. Um, you know, like, um, you know, the, like with the fly tens or whatever, like putting that in our team group chat, like they, you know, they just engage with a little more. Like I could have just taken the data and been like, yeah, you guys are doing well. Cool. Like, but just the simple act of sending it to them. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily send them raw force plate data, but like, whether it's just like a quick chat of being like, Hey, like your left, right asymmetry is like, it's basically zero. Like you're doing great, you know, or something like that. Or just like, Hey, a little bit here. So we're going to focus a little bit on this extra training on this, uh, on this one leg or whatever. Like it just engages them in a way that um, it makes it more meaningful for them. And so they're more apt to, care about it and put a little more effort into it. What are some of the challenges of working at the division one level that, that, that you see on a daily basis that coaches who haven't had that experience might not know about? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I guess I were, I mean, I GA division three and I've only worked in division one environments since then. Mm. I mean, depending on how high of a level of division one you're at or what sport you're in, like you gotta win games or you're getting fired. And like uh, I mean, everybody right. kind of know that, but then like the behind this how that manifests itself behind the scenes can be interesting depending on the organization. Um some people are very much, hey, it's you know, we gotta win these games or we're gonna get fired. So let's have the best ideas be implemented, no matter who is bringing them forth. And those are usually pretty successful organizations. Um, and then there are also, hey, we're, we got to win these games or we're getting fired and I'm in charge. So we're going to implement my ideas. And so even if we get fired, I can be like, oh, well, at least that was my ideas. Like, and those are usually not high performing environments. Um, but honestly, it's like, it's not as different because I mean, coaching is such a like boys club. I mean, depending on the sport, not necessarily boys club, but like incestuous to the point where people think like, Oh, division one, like you must have the best coaches. Like, no, like the best coach I've ever been around was a division three men's volleyball coach. Um, you know, and he's, he's one a and one, I should say tied is our women's lacrosse coach here. Like they're, and they're in drastically different environments. Mm -hmm. um, but like, there are a lot of people who kind of fail their way to the top. So um, it's not like, oh, like, oh, it's a division one environment. And it's like, no, there are some bozos who work here. Um, <laughs> my, 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 uh, but then there are some, you know, on the flip side, there are some high school coaches who are way more, way smarter than anybody in a division one environment. You know, like, so it, even though you hear division one, like, yeah, there are coaches in the division one environment that are the best in the world at what they do. And there are division three coaches who are in that same bracket. There are high school coaches in that same bracket. So like the difference is obviously like resources and probably time spent with the athletes. Um, you know, I get, you know, we just, 
like even lacrosse, like they're away for a little bit in the summer, but then we pretty much are training them six days a week for from late August to mid-May. You know, it's and it's a lot of time where we just get them six days a week and we are allowed to tell them they have to be there, uh, <laughs> you know, those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the resources are different and probably the time spent with the athletes is different, but like it's not some crazy like, oh, like I bet all the best people in the world work at Division One. Like, no, it's not. Uh, like even my, my brother's a cardiologist and he's told me like there are some of the smartest people in the world have MD behind their names and there are a lot of idiots with MD behind their names. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't, it's not, um, it doesn't tell you everything you need to know. That's a really good way to put it. And I think that allows us to gain value, especially on social media. Someone might be coming from a different background or they might be, like you said, at the high school level, D3 level, D1 level. Uh, men's women's across football like you can learn from everybody if you take time to listen and understand like what their knowledge is and how they're explaining it and how you can apply it to your situation um so it seems like you've learned that lesson early and you've been able to apply that to your career and allow yourself to grow and not just be uh stagnant or complacent with whatever situation you've you've gotten into yeah Uh, i mean i would i would hope people would say that about me but um, yeah, we've had fun being having a good staff around and both sports performance staff and being around good sporting sport coach staffs of just kind of pushing the envelope and trying to answer the question of like, all right, what's what is the best way to win games um, for this environment, this team, this specific situation? What's the best way to win games? And then even the next year, that that question is different because it's a new team, it's a new environment, it's a new it's the roster, all that. So. Um, yeah. What are some things that you're excited to implement, whether it's over the summer or come school year next year? What are some new things that you're excited to use with your athletes? Mm, I'm going to get a little more. My usage of weighted jumps is going to get pretty a lot more. I, I don't, I don't want to use the word extensive because they're actually going to be intensive jumps, but I'm going to more extensively use um, weighted jumps a fair amount more with women's across specifically. Um, and I mean, I kind of touched on it already, but I'm coming to ditch bilateral squatting with them for the time being, you know, the, the answer I was watching, like some of our limitations from a front squat standpoint were so like some of the, I guess like postural limitations, um, of like, even just like a front rack position and, it was limiting the load that we were able to put on the legs to this, to the point where I was like, is this getting the adaptation that I'm looking for? You know, if I'm looking for a deep knee bend, you know, even we were pretty much up on a wedge, you know, taking the ankle out of it, put your ass on your heels. Like we're looking for like a true knee bend. Like, am I overloading that movement to the point where I'm building strength? And it was like, I don't know if I am. And the, the real turning point for me was, it was just like a couple of girls hanging out after a lift, just, they were doing some extra stretching or something like that. And it was like 10 girls in the room and I took all of them and I took a, like an elevated box or elevated box. Um, I took a box. So they were doing an elevated pistol basically. Yeah. Uh, just to take the free leg 
hip flexor strength basically out of it. And I was like, Hey, do a single leg squat. Gave him like a five pound plate as a counterbalance. And every single girl on the team could do it. Just like, you know, basically a body weight with a counterbalance. And I was like, okay, that's it. Like, that's what we're doing now. And, you know, um, and that's not necessarily going to be the only movement that we supplement or that we do instead of that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, if I can take that and then load that to the point where, you know, we're hitting goblet single leg squats with a 45 pound dumbbell or weight vest or chains or however we would choose to load it, um, while still making sure we have some like larger, like global kind of movements that are lower body, but you know, we're going to trap our, one of our mains, you know, we're still going to have, um, we'll play around with some hand supported split squats, you know, which are obviously lower body, but more like a total body type of thing. So you still have like a big nervous system stimulus of like, Hey, you got some heavy ass weight on your back or in your hands or, you know, something like that. Um, so still getting that in, but while realizing like, okay, if I want to load, if I want to load full flexion of the knee, what's the way that I can load this without the limiter being some other structure in the body? Like if I'm, you know, I don't want the limiter to be, what can you front rack? Um, And not to say that it's not still a valuable exercise. I'm just finding with this exact, with this exact population, I'm not finding it as valuable you know, the men's swimmers that I work with, those guys smack front squat and they load the hell out of it. And, um, you know, even then some of the women's swimmers, like, um, so it's, but it's just a different population. So I, I, I don't know what it is. I haven't spent too much time analyzing like why, but it's just like, all right, that's not, that is not maximally loading knee bending the way that I want it to. And so I'm going to find another way to load it. And so that'll be fun. Um, but then also some of the force plate stuff will be fun to look at. Um, I mean, a lot of, in this population, a lot of the outcomes from the pre-testing on the force plate will just be like, Oh, you need to get stronger, both isometrically and eccentrically. Um, so it'll basically just be a lot of the training that we already do. Um, but it'll be fun to be see it objective, um, and start, start this in a way that we're going to start doing this longitudinally, not just like, Oh, this eight week training cycle, we improved X percentage. It's like, no, how do we do over 18 months, 24 months, 36 months. Um, as we start looking at this more longitudinally. I'm excited to see you implement those changes with your athletes, especially the cross team, which had so much success this past year. Thank you for taking time to jump on the podcast, Joel. I look forward to your social media posts, your podcast, and where your career takes you. Thank you for being such a good coach, uh, both to the athletes and to us other coaches and therapists out there. Um, thanks again, and I look forward to chatting soon. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for uh, having me on.